A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Cara, acne can be tough. Whether your kid is just starting to get breakouts or has been struggling with them for years, there's a great product that can help. Phyla is the ultimate game changer. It tackles acne right at its root cause, rebalancing the skin's bacteria and packing it with probiotic phages. Phyla harnesses the superpowers of probiotics, tiny warriors targeting and wiping out the acne-causing bacteria. In studies, Phyla slashed acne-causing bacteria by a whopping 90%. Phyla doesn't just fix acne you can see. It stops new breakouts in their tracks. It has no harsh chemicals and won't irritate or dry most skin. Phyla's three-step system is like a dermatologist-approved magic potion. Cleanse, apply serum, and moisturize twice a day. As a special treat for our listeners, you can grab 25% off your first order of Phyla. Head over to phylabiotics.com, enter code PUBERTY at checkout, and kickstart your family's journey to acne-free skin. Check out the link in our show notes for quick access. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Cara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Kroll-Bennett. Each week, we dive into the what and how of raising kids through puberty, that roller coaster of physical and emotional shifts for kids and parents alike. Combining reliable science and relatable parenting strategies, we will all learn about, laugh about, and yes, maybe even cry about adolescence, ours and theirs. So when given the opportunity, most people will tell their puberty stories, which is why what I really wanted to call this episode is leaving our shit at the door. But what we're going to call this episode is leaving our baggage at the door. That's so polite of you. I know. I am occasionally, (laughs) occasionally polite. I mean, when we first conceived of this podcast, it was literally going to be all about people telling their stories. Adults telling their stories. Maybe even kids at some point, but we were going to get to the low-hanging fruit of adults who were eager to share their story. Some good some bad, some joyful, some hard, no pun intended. Uh, Sorry, I'm going to like... That's why you do this for a living. (laughs) You're usually the punster, not me. Um, But it is true. Every single adult wants to tell their story. Yeah, given the right circumstances and the right prodding and the right opportunity. I mean, the way I see people's puberty stories are like the origin stories of superheroes. They really help define who we are for good and for bad, and they inform decisions we make, relationships we have, the way we raise our children, the way we are with our romantic partners. All of those things can often be traced back to our origin stories, our puberty origin stories. Right, which are shaped by the high highs and the low lows, right? I mean, it's not like I remember those really level days of ninth grade or sixth grade or whatever epic year it was. Um, But what I do remember is 
the best day, the most amazing day when something was happening or transforming or, you know, whatever, or the worst days, right? Because that's what trauma does in our brain. It really, the memory is solidified and it can be super positive or it can be super negative. And that's my puberty origin story. So when when I'm standing in front of a group of parents giving a talk, and I think you have the same experience, yeah, yeah. right? And the, the easiest thing to do is say, Anyone here want to share something about their puberty? And, you know, the first brave soul goes, but then it's it's like an avalanche of stories and it's the high highs and the low lows. Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, everyone needs kind of the right ecosystem for sharing a story. So if, if we're in a puberty workshop and there's 25 adults in the room, some of them will share to the group, some of them will share in partner, and some of them will kind of workshop it a little bit. And some people will tell us privately at the end. And I think everyone has their own way of kind of navigating telling those stories. And one of the things that I find most interesting is that sometimes people don't remember the stories until we give them the prompt in the workshop. So when we're in our workshops, we will everyone gets a Post-it note and a Sharpie. And we will say to them, just write down a, a memory that you have, even just a word that that points to a memory that you have from your puberty. And everyone has their post-it notes, and then we break them into groups, or we sit in a whole circle, or on Zoom, or in breakout rooms. And many times, adults will share a story, and they will say, I literally have not thought about this mm-hmm. in 30 years, or I didn't even remember this happened to me until you asked for that prompt. The recovered memory of puberty. The recovered memory (laughs) of puberty. That's actually really beautiful. I love that. The recovered memory of puberty. It's it's actually often not a beautiful memory, though. (laughs) It's often very messy. Very painful and maybe even traumatic. Yeah. So I think, you know, for each of us, if we were each sitting here, if we were had post-it notes and Sharpies in our hands, And we were asked to share our puberty baggage, right? Or our, as I would call it, the shit um, that we carry with us. What would that sound like? What would that, what would that be? What's your- What would be on my post-it? What would be on your post-it? I'm going to answer that, but I'm just going to say that we have such a great friendship. And one of the reasons why is we teach each other a lot. And this whole post-it, leave it at the door concept was something you taught me early on in our friendship, which was, hey, do you notice this problem where parents bring all their puberty baggage and then they have trouble separating Mm -hmm. their stories and their kids' stories? And I had never been able to put words to it. And then I was like, oh, that's what's happening. It's not, you know, the parenting through puberty, the the parent's narrative needs to be pulled out. So I love this exercise because mm. you taught me the importance of doing that, even though I think I I think I understood it in a pragmatic way, but you really put words on it. So what would be on my post-it? Well, my puberty story is shaped largely by three big events. I was a late bloomer, the most common sentence uttered in my house by one of my three brothers was, you are so flat, the walls are jealous. Um, Lovely. Yeah. (laughs) Like for many years. The second thing is coincident with my puberty was when my parents split up. So Mm. it's a big part of my origin story. 
And then the third is that there was a lot of addiction in my hmm. in my life, in my family life. So there was sort of, there was the physical change part, but there was also the, the social component where for me, that played in very heavily in terms of how I made certain decisions, why I made certain decisions. And those three threads are completely conflated for me. And I do want to interject and just say, we do know that stress can play a role in kids' puberty and kids' development. It, it certainly can. It's, we know that. And um, boy, it had a starring role in, <laughs> in mine. So that's my post-it. I would have those three bullet points and I would then just, if I was in your puberty wo- workshop, I would just wallow in that for a little while. And what does that feel like, right? Like you revisit that, that time, you revisit the comments from your brother, you revisit the the dynamics in your house, you revisit the fact that you were a late bloomer and what that felt like in the context of yeah. your social life. Like what name that those feelings that you're sitting with if you can. Right. You know, they're grossly uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. They're it's they're all very um visceral, not warm and fuzzy feelings about the process of growing up. Um, It doesn't mean to say that there weren't wonderful people in my life and that I didn't have really great moments and that I wasn't, but those are, you know, the sort of that discomfort is, and and explains everything about every life choice I've ever made, right? Mm. Why'd you become a pediatrician? Duh, right? I mean, it's it's all connected to all of that. So it's, it's really uncomfortable. I will say that it has taken me a lot of introspection and effort to leave my stories behind as I have raised my own kids, right? So my experience through puberty and theirs, very, very different. I do not have late bloomers. I have early bloomers. They do not have parents who have split. They have parents who are still married, you know, for better or for worse. It's just a different home scenario. They do not have addiction in their world. And so sometimes I'm like, oh, I do this for a living. And yet my own narrative does not necessarily help guide me in my kids' narrative. But of course it does, right? right. Of, of course, course, it, course does. it does. So that's my, what's your post Well, and I do want to say, apropos of what you just mentioned, that um, we are going to do an episode of how do we navigate our own, our own families of origin, our own past, our own histories, and how do we either undercorrect, overcorrect, or mimic what we grew up with. And I think it's it, this is not just one conversation about what are we carrying with us into these conversations? How heavy is the baggage? Is the suitcase unzipped with everything falling out of it? Or is it neatly uh, carry-on size? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, the story is about weight, which I think for many Many people, their origin stories and puberty revolve around weight, being really thin or gaining weight, being heavy, the shame of being weighed at the doctor's office, the shame of being made fun of by a sibling or somebody in school. And around the age of 11, I put on a bunch of weight and became what was called in those days chubby. I don't even know what it would be called these days as we work hard to kind of find neutral language about kids and weight. And you talked about being uncomfortable. I I wanted to crawl out of my skin. I wanted to, it was like no clothing felt 
right on me. Nothing. I hated the way everything looked. I hated the way my body felt. But there's no escaping your own body, right? There was no escaping your late blooming. There was no escaping your family and your household. For me, there was no escaping my body. And I was one of, I am one of four siblings, as are you, but everyone else in my family was thin. And I was not. And I wonder, and we now know that many kids grow out before they grow up, right? We talked on another episode about how it's really common, particularly for girls, but also for boys to gain weight before they get taller or have other signs of puberty. But I didn't know that then. I was just chubby in a house of thin people. And I would say, and my mom actually, I told her I was really unhappy and I didn't like the way I felt. And as a loving parent, she tried to solve it for me. And so she took me to the diet center and I went on a diet in the year between 12 and 13 and the year in the run-up to my bat mitzvah. And I still remember getting weighed Mm. at the diet center and that feeling of like hoping and praying, knowing I had eaten my poached chicken breast, but also knowing I had snuck the little frozen chocolate Sara Lee individually wrapped cakes because I was a 12-year-old kid. And so that feeling of being in my body, that feeling of being unhappy with how I looked, that feeling of the shame of someone else weighing me and sort of judging whether that weight was okay or not, that lives with me every day. And what I say to my mom when she apologizes to me about it, you know, I I, I didn't know, you know, I was is that we all try to do our best with the information we have at the time. And so that that's the baggage that I carry with me is that awareness of I can still viscerally feel what it felt like to be in my skin. That's funny. It's that's the right word. It's visceral. It's I think, totally and, visceral. And I think it I I think that's the universal experience. Yeah. The memories from this time are visceral. You feel like Right now, I'm Mm -hmm. sitting here and my stomach is flipping, Mm -hmm. thinking about it and reliving it. Mm -hmm. And you asked me such an interesting question the other day. You said, do you think these experiences are so impactful because of where the brain is in Mm -hmm. its development, right? Like, um, would we be able, would you have been able to process the way your body was shaped differently if your brain had been more mature already? Would I have been able to process all of the variables that were being thrown at me? I I don't know the answer to that. I don't know. But what I do know is that kids who are transforming through puberty do not have fully mature brains. And so whether or not we would have been able to live differently and experience those those sort of shifts and changes differently if our brains had been in a different space doesn't really matter because our kids who are going through whatever transformations and and trying to clear whatever hurdles they're trying to clear, our kids are at a stage of brain development where the emotional part of the brain, that part of the brain that you... It was, on high alert yeah. when you looked in the mirror, yeah. was just on fire when I was invited to a party in high school, right? Um, that part of the brain is in charge. 
for our tween and teen children. And for people who have 20-something children, it's still in charge. So yeah, I kind of like to think of it like wet cement, you know, when they read and somebody comes and writes in their initials or they put a little paw print. It's like these memories feel like those things that get stuck in the cement when it, when it dries. And, you know, I do want to acknowledge that not everyone's stories, when we, when we do this in our workshops, not everyone's stories are, are hard or negative. Some people's stories are really positive and joyful. I mean, I had a woman in a workshop talk about how her dad, she got her period for the first time at summer camp, and her dad wrote her a really beautiful letter about how thrilled he was for her and how proud he was. And I mean, that is astounding. That's like in the 1980s. And that was astounding to me. That's very evolved. Very evolved. <laughs> and and yet she had the privilege of carrying that memory with her of his having done that. Vanessa, we literally have three minutes to eat lunch every day. I am not joking. And the challenge is how to make it delicious and healthy and still fit into that tiny window. Our answer is factors ready to eat meals. They have been a godsend. We throw our factor meals in the microwave. It takes two minutes and out comes a gorgeous, fresh, never frozen meal. We both love the tamale vegetarian one. It's delish. There's a ton of options every week. There's 60 add-ons, breakfast, snacks, beverages. I love doing the wellness shots with my kids. They think it's hilarious. And I know they're getting vitamins and minerals in their bodies. So get meals on your table or at your desk in two minutes or less. Factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking, and cleaning. You can customize with flexibility to get as much or as little as you need, and you can press pause or reschedule depending upon your lifestyle. So to order, go to factormeals.com slash puberty50 and use the code puberty50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That code is puberty50 at factormeals.com slash puberty50 to get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next box. And I am going to go do that right now because I need more factor meals in my refrigerator. Cara, lately I have been lying awake at night. I'm physically exhausted, but I can't sleep because my mind is so wired with everything going on between work and my family. So I've added magnesium breakthrough to my nightly routine and it actually helps calm my mind. It helps me get better sleep and I wake up feeling better rested. I'm less cranky and I'm more patient with my family and with you. Oh, I've noticed. (laughs) And it's because unlike other magnesium supplements that might give one or two formulations of magnesium, magnesium breakthrough has seven. That's why you're sleeping so well and waking up refreshed. Now, dietary supplementation is always best, Vanessa. So that means eating your minerals and vitamins is the best way to get them in. But if you can't or you don't get enough, magnesium breakthrough is the way to go. It can also help digestion, though too much helps your digestion too much, which is not a good thing. It can support muscle recovery. So bye-bye, Charlie Horses. And it helps build dense bones, which is especially important for women approaching and in menopause. 
We have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You can go to buyoptimizers.com slash puberty, B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash puberty. And you can use the code PUBERTY10 during checkout to save 10%. That promo code is PUBERTY10 at buyoptimizers.com slash puberty. Your body and brain and family and business partner will thank you. Cara, my kids love Magic Spoon cereal. And even though it's cereal, they actually love it as a homework snack. The variety pack has four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. And fruity is the favorite flavor in my house. Now, this pack has zero grams of sugar, between 13 and 14 grams of protein, and between four and five grams of net carbs per serving. It's made with wholesome ingredients, no artificial flavors or dyes, and it's high in protein, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. So a great choice, Vanessa. You can go to magicspoon.com slash puberty to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our, you guessed it, promo code puberty at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident you're going to love their product. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money. No questions asked. They do not want you to send their cereal back to them. Try a bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash puberty and use the code puberty to save $5. And that's such an important point, you know, just to go back to this high highs, low lows. You know, it's these stories, these formative stories of how we as parents, caretakers, guides for our youth, how we experience puberty does not have to be negative. You and I, when we first conceived of this podcast, talked about doing a puberty story core, mm-hmm. right? And our idea was because we have never met an adult who doesn't at some point tap into some story that's very relevant to the way that they are guiding a child, we said, okay, share that story right? We want to record those stories because they're amazing. And some of them are hilarious and some of them are devastating, but let's record them and have you share them mostly so you can get them off your chest right? and then move on already because they're very formative for us, but they don't necessarily inform the way we should raise tweens and teens today. And that's kind of a complicated concept. Well, and in our workshops, what my colleague, Mary Pat Dratty will do is she'll, she'll take everyone, everyone's post-its and they'll put them on a big board and then she will physically move the board out of the room. Right. And she is communicating and she doesn't tell people ahead of time. That's what she's going to do. She does it once they've, they've gathered their stuff and put it on the board. And the the symbolism of physically moving it out of the room, literally leaving our shit at the door is so powerful. And it's like, you can almost feel people relax. Like you can almost feel the exhalation and the shoulders drop when those post-its get moved out of the room. So I have my story, you have your story. I want to talk a little bit about if we're not in a community of people where we've been to a workshop or we haven't sat and listened to one of your talks, what are the steps that we can go through to kind of name for ourselves and move our baggage out of the room 
and why that's important when we parent our kids through puberty. Because I think often parents struggle with the desire to kind of share their own experience and their own story because they're trying to relate to their kids or, you know, teachers or coaches or grandparents are trying to relate and connect to kids. And often they feel like telling their own stories is the way to do that. Or they're trying to fill the giant void, right? How many parents have sat down to have some mega conversation with a kid and there's just silence. Right. And how do you fill the silence? Because sitting with silence is really awkward. It becomes the most important parenting tool in through adolescence, I think. Sitting, sitting in silence. Sitting in silence. Yeah. But at first, when especially with older kids, um, if this is the first t- rodeo, <laughs> is this your first rodeo through puberty, you know, sitting in silence is very uncomfortable. And the first place parents often go, caretakers often go, is to their own puberty to try to connect. Right. But there are reasons. We should, let's walk through them. The reasons why that strategy is not effective. And then we can kind of go maybe to the how to then leave your story. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which, by the way, you and I have failed at doing miserably many a time. <laughs> oh, not telling our stories, not talking yes. to fill yes. the void. I mean, I am, I have a gold medal in talking to fill the void, not just with my children, but like just in life in general, which is maybe why I have a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) You're a gold medalist. Um, Okay. So so we're going to start with then the why. Let's present the case as to why a parent should leave their baggage at the door and not make a puberty conversation about them, but should make it about the child. And again, sometimes I use the word parent, but I really mean any adult influence yep. in a child's life. So this applies to coaches and teachers and religious figures and, you know, beloved older cousins and aunts and uncles and, you know, all the, the sort of, um, we call them trusted adults right. in the American Girl books. Right. And I think that's it's a great phrase, that right? phrase all the time. Trusted adults. Okay. So reason number one. And wait, by oh, the yeah. way, I do want to add that sometimes those people are actually much better. <laughs> the people who aren't the People raising the children who aren't the parents are better at listening, are better at not injecting their own stories, are better at not projecting their own narratives. Totally. Sometimes trusted adults who are not the parents are more adept at being kind of non-judgmental presences in in kids' lives. That's right. That's right. And, you know, we can get to this at the end in terms of tools, but identifying who those trusted adults are. So critical. Critical. And so, uh, you know, if you if you get nothing else from this episode, the I think one of the biggest take-home pearls, frankly, of the whole series is find your substitute. If you are the primary go-to person for a kid, there is going to be a moment, there is going to be a scenario in which that kid cannot come to you for yep. whatever reason. Find your substitute. Ask a child to partner with you on finding that substitute. Ask them who that person would be, why. That person may change. The 10-year-old answer and the 14-year-old answer may be very, very different. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And then warn the person. (laughs) So I was the trusted adult for the daughter of one of my dearest friends. And thank God she warned me because I got the call at midnight when this teenager was with her longtime boyfriend, She loved him deeply. He loved her deeply. They had talked for a really long time about having sex. And she called me from the bathroom at his house and said, 
We had a conversation. This is a really special relationship. I really love him. I'm not ready. What do I do? Wow. And I was really glad I knew I was the phone call because had I not been prepared for that role... I'm not sure I would have had an answer at the ready. And you know me, I go to bed at like nine o'clock. I was so going to say, how are, you even, how are you even available to take the call? You've been asleep for three hours. It is so true. But anyway, so. But also more than that, by your friend letting you know that you were her person, you knew you had permission to give this kid guidance and That's to right. step in, right? Because. Well, and I asked my friend, I said, when she told me I was the person, I said, can you let me know what you want me to say? Because by the way, usually when someone is your go-to person, you're not giving them total sort of free agency to say whatever they want to say. You're you're choosing them and your kid is choosing them because the sort of moral and ethical compass, the value systems can be about the same as yours. It's really helpful to know that if you're the trusted adult and the question is going to be about, you know, sex, drugs, whatever big charged issue, that you have a sense of what that parent might hope you would say. Right. Anyways, it really helped me. It was amazing. It was actually one of the more amazing experiences. I mean, that's incredible. What a privilege. Yeah, it was awesome. It was awesome. But let's go back to the the question, right? So why, why is it important for you and for me to not bring all of our lifetime baggage into the room with our kids when we're having the talks, plural, plural, plural. And the, the first reason I would give on that list is it's their journey not ours. Right. So when we give our stories constantly and never ending, what we are saying is my puberty, my adolescence, my whatever was so much more important than yours is. And you're going to lose your audience so fast because if you're, if they're bringing you into their space to ask you a question that has to do with any and all of this, and then your answer has to do with you, you've lost your audience. Right. Yeah. I mean, I do get the question often, like, when is it appropriate for me or when is it useful to share my story or an experience? Because there are times when it's okay. I err on the side of not telling my own stories, but I know people who do it and and effectively, right? For sure. And there are some great moments, but I, I think we should sort of, I think we should first give our, our outline. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Vanessa, it's their journey not yours. The world is different. That's another reason why I want you to leave your story at the door. Totally different. Because you grew up at a time where a phone was connected to a wall. It was not a computer. There were not 25 million modes of communicating with people you knew, people you didn't know. You were not surrounded by a culture that looked and felt anything like this culture that we are raising our kids in, right? Right. So the world's different. We've talked about this before. We'll talk about this again. Their puberty is different. It's starting earlier. It's lasting longer. Their shifts and changes are talked about, right? I mean, so that's a huge difference. So if your story is about how, you know, no one talked to me about X, Y, and Z, that's actually probably not that relevant today. Mm. In 2021, that's not... That's not what puberty is. Puberty is talked about all the time. There are shows about it. There are, you know, there are books about it. There, It's so mainstream. And that was not the case when we were growing up. So that's another reason why you want to leave it at the door. You want to leave it at the door because it's their transformation. It's their path. And 
my kids are genetically related to me, but their path through this looks really different. There are families where kids and parents are not genetically related, and their paths will almost certainly look very different. Right, right. Um, but, you know, I am a late bloomer who raised two early bloomers. It's their story. So those that's sort of my bullet-pointed list if I have to convince someone of why it's about them, not you, that's it. But now you go about how can it be effective to bring your story in? When have you seen parents do it in a way that works? Or have you had an experience in your own house where there's been a time that one of your kids, and you have so many that there must be a story, (laughs) (laughs) um, where you have been able to bring in, whether it's your story about, you know, gaining weight and not loving living in your skin, you know? Well, I think the weight gain, the way I felt in my body helps remind me to leave my judgment about weight gain at the door. But sometimes it's too close to me about body image and how I feel. And that's when I have learned to turn to my husband and say, you know what, you don't carry this baggage with you. I need you to take this with you. And it's very funny because I have a big ass, which I cannot leave at the door. It stays with me. But my husband calls it my conch ass, a.k.a. my conscience. And he says that if I didn't have a big ass, I would be a bitch because my conch ass, my conscience, gives me empathy that people are carrying things with them into the space that help define who they are. And so when I think about what we bring into the room, there are painful things, there are difficult things, there are things we shouldn't say or address, but there are also things that give us empathy and kindness for the people with us that make us better listeners, that make us better, more open-hearted. But my husband doesn't carry that stuff with him. He has, everybody has their own baggage that they bring in. And so sometimes when I can feel that I'm being set off by a certain issue that I know doesn't bother him, I'll turn to him and say, hey, can you take this? And I I only recently learned to do that because I only recently learned to identify when I was kind of being set off. I don't want to use the word trigger because that has kind of a clinical vibe to it these days. But when I was being set off, I could turn to him and say, you know, I need you to handle this. Now, for people who are raising, who are single parents, who don't always have the the opportunity to do that, when we feel ourselves being set off, that's a chance to say, you know what, I'm just going to like, I'm just going to go in the other room for a few minutes. I'm, I'm just going to wash my face and then I'll, I'll come back and we can talk about this, right? Like they need to give themselves a timeout. The stories I think that can be wonderful to share are the times when we had an opportunity or a moment and we were able to kind of show that moment to our kids and say, like, yes, I am someone who also was lost or I am also someone who messed up. Um, not, not I am also someone who's deeply scarred and also, and not, oh, I am someone who overcame every obstacle like flawlessly and effortlessly. I think there's a place to sit where it was just like, yeah, you know what? It was really hard for me when the other boys were going through puberty and I hadn't 
yet hit puberty. That's if your son comes to you and says, you know, playing basketball really sucks right now because everybody is bigger than I am. Okay, I have so many things to say to yeah. you. So in no particular order. So first of all, some of the deepest conversations we have with our kids are conversations that we have when we're not making eye contact, when yeah. the lights are yeah. out, when we're in a car, right? Sometimes that's wonderful because they will spill. They're not feeling vulnerable because they're not eye to eye. Right. Other times, especially if we fall into the trap of talking about ourselves and our own story, we lose track of whether they're still engaged in the yeah. story, yeah. right? And so it makes a very big difference when you try to engage, when you're talking about yourself and you're bringing your story into the fold, try to engage your kid in eye contact at that point because you'll figure out very quickly, is this working or is this not working? Uh, but that being said, um, I do think the way you described it is exactly right. It's a beautiful way to do it, which is you're putting your toe in the water of, I understand I uh, empathize with you yeah. because I have lived similar experiences. One thing my kids have taught me, especially recently being together for a year and change in, in the pandemic, is that when we use the phrase, I know... Just how you feel. I know just how you... That's triggering. Mm -hmm. Let's use the word triggering there. <laughs> that is very triggering for a 15-year-old or, or a 17-year-old, and, and rightfully so, because... While you can say, I have felt similarly, mm -hmm. or I think I know, or there was this time when I, when all of my feelings sound like they felt a lot like your feelings, but you know what? You, we don't know exactly how they're feeling right now. So that's a, it's a good phrase to steer away from. And that, you know, and yet another reason why leaving baggage at the door becomes so important. I just want to also speak to the single parent for a second, yeah. because what an important concept to bring up um, in terms of having an alternate. If there is not an alternate under your roof, mm -hmm. um, single parenting is, I mean, talk about gold medal winners. Man, um, it is really, really heavy lifting to do it on your own and finding that other trusted adult, that alternate is so impactful. It's so impactful. Some of the single parent child dyads combinations that I've gotten to know over the years are some of the closest parent kid dynamics I've ever seen, um, especially when a single parent without any guilt just says to their child when needed, I'm doing this all on my own. I'm trying to figure it out. I do need to sit with it for a minute yeah. so that I can help you. I have learned from those parents that that is a very, very important strategy in parenting because sometimes we don't know all the answers. Sometimes we are not understanding the question. And I think single parents tend to master the ability to understand when they can say, I don't know. I don't know are the three most important words in medicine. Yeah. I think they are also the three most important words in parenting. Yeah, and I think in the pandemic where people were locked down with their kids if they were on their own and also have single children, the dynamic was really intense and exhausting and challenging. And learning to like sub yourself off the field as a parent in any way, right? Just saying, hey, I got to I gotta take a break. I'm going to step out of the room for a minute because I can feel that I am I'm not the best version of myself right now, right? But I, I also think 
when in doubt, don't share your story, hmm. right? If, 100%. If, if you're not sure if this is a good moment, don't share it for the very reasons you mentioned, right? We don't want to make them seem like our journey, their journey is our journey. We don't want to make them feel like we need to talk about ourselves rather than listen to what they have to say. We don't want to make them, give them the sense that the world is exactly the same, right? All of the reasons that you shared, I'm wondering if we can see that we have a kid in pain or a kid who's struggling or a kid who is grappling with something, what does it sound like? What does that conversation sound like if the go-to isn't, well, let me tell you a story about when I insert, I got my period or I gained 25 pounds in a year or, you know, I got breasts before everyone else did or I got a boner in science class, right? If we're not telling those stories, what does the conversation sound like when we when we look at our kids or we're driving in the car or we're on a we're on a walk with them? Yeah. Well, again, um, I only raised two children and you've raised four, so you have double my yeah. Data. But you're further you're further along. <laughs> you've gotten them you're further along. My age. So you know, I think each of us have pearls around this. For my two cents, I think it it looks like prompting a kid and then sitting with the quiet for a little while because that allows them the space to figure out what they want to say. So, you know, you know when something's wrong with a kid, but going to them and saying, what's wrong? What's wrong? Right. Often doesn't help, right? So- As Michael Thompson calls it, interviewing for pain. Uh, right. And interviewing for pain is extraordinarily unsuccessful. Yeah. Right. So as you begin to try to have conversations where you've left your baggage at the door- one of the things that you can say as a parent, um, and I try to do this and I often screw it up and so then I'll take my do-over and do it again. You can say, this is what I'm seeing. Tell me if I've got it right or wrong and tell me if it's helpful to you if I share a story from my life that feels similar or if you just want to share a story from your life to help me understand what's going on. Right. So you're you're giving them a a, a buffet of choices. Of options. The options yeah. do not include we're not talking. <laughs> right. And the options don't include let me tell you all about when I was 13. Correct. Yeah, I mean Elisa Pressman who hosts Raising Good Humans posted something a couple months ago which was just like a very short prompt that said do you want me to listen or do you want me to give advice? right? Am I just here as a receptacle for whatever you need to unload? Or as, am I here to give you some some guidance? Which is such a great prompt for many kids, but there are definitely kids who go, no. Nothing. <laughs> Option C. N-A. <laughs> and so, you know, I think it's it's a really nice place to land, which is that so much of this podcast is not about dramatically shifting parenting styles. It's about slowly turning the bow of your ship in order to get better at something that you've already had a lot of practice doing. And one of the very subtle shifts that you can make as a parent, and you can test it in your own house and see how it goes for you, is to try to leave the word I mm -hmm. out of the sentence. Mm -hmm. Start having awareness of the word I, and instead try to maximize the word you and 
that will shift the focus onto the kid and away from the adult experience. Yeah. And that I I think, see, I just said I. <laughs> you can do um, it with me because I'm not your kid. Yeah, but it's so, uh, once you become aware of it, you can't unhear it. But, you know, in my experience, not just with my kids, but, you know, through through a couple of decades of pediatrics, that that type of active listening mm-hmm. um, and that type of solicitation of what is going on for you, what are you thinking, what is your solution to it, that tends to give me permission to not bring my stories in. Right. right. And it gives the kid a sense of agency that it's that it's about them. I will say, and this is something we tell families in our workshops, if you need to get those stories out, if those are stories that you're still working on and struggling with and that are really kind of living with you day to day, as you mentioned, a single parent, if you don't have another adult living under your roof with whom, call a friend, speak to your therapist, call a sibling. Like, it's great to get those stories out. It's important to process them. It's important, particularly if you have a child who's going through that themselves or at the same age. It's just not great to do it to your kid. Your kid, it's not your kid's job to hear your stories and to process your baggage. But friends, loved ones, therapists, those people are available. So if you find yourself constantly going to the I when you are talking to your kids, Find another outlet for it. I think it's really, I think it's really critical. It's so important. So to get rid of I. Let's get practical. Let's, let's get, practical get practical about, about puberty. puberty. I'm going to make you a T-shirt that says that. I get practical <laughs> about puberty. <laughs> My kids might actually vomit on that shirt. They're going to like cut it up into little pieces on the floor. <laughs> yes, yes, they will. Um, so my getting practical about puberty in this episode is actually to ask everyone who listens to get a Post-it note and a Sharpie and to write down that seminal puberty memory, a word, a sentence. If you keep a journal, you can write it all down and then find someone you trust to share it with. Not your child, but someone else. Find an adult that you trust to share it with and invite them to share their story with you. I love that, Pearl. I think I'll just add on to it and say, And also promise yourself that one day when it's appropriate, meaning when it's not about them, but it's about you, share that story with your kid Mm -hmm. because you want to. Mm -hmm. Just hold the story back as long as you can and let, let it be about them. Let the spotlight be on them. I love that. Thanks so much for listening. You can follow us anywhere you get your podcasts or check out our Instagram at The Puberty Podcast. If you have questions or stories to share, email us at thepubertypodcast at gmail.com. And for more puberty info, check out myoomla.com or dynamogirl.com. Bye. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.